Raised in the heartland under Friday Night Lights, this all-American girl grew up with patriotism in her soul. Now, she tackles the hottest issues of our time. Free speech, religious liberty, and preserving our all-American way of life. This is All-American Radio with Jennifer Kearns. Welcome to All-American Radio with Jennifer Kearns. I'm your host, Jennifer Kearns, on 790 KABC and on iHeartRadio across the country. Welcome to the show. It is official now. Republicans have officially taken control of Congress, and Kevin McCarthy, California's own, will become the Speaker of the House. Uh, That is exciting news after, of course, Republicans... Uh, suffered a bit of a bruising loss and not taking the U.S. Senate, Uh, but we do have some bright spots with a really great class of Congress members coming in and being sworn in in January, and uh, this is really something that I'm looking forward to. We have one of those members uh, with us today on the show, uh, Congress member-elect Kevin Kiley from California, California's own, uh, actually the seat or one of the seats uh, who tipped the balance of power away from Nancy Pelosi and over to uh, the Republicans. So uh, that is very exciting. We'll be talking with Kevin in the show today. Uh, Many of you know him from last year's recall effort against uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, and um, he is a real fighter, and I can't wait to see what he does in Washington, D.C., Also in the show today, I'll be talking with Ronald Reagan, my favorite president, uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, Office of Management and Budget Director. We'll be talking a lot about inflation, uh, the price of Thanksgiving uh, going up, price of the holidays going up, and what you and your family really need to know as we go into this um, sort of winter of discontent. Quite uh, scary things on the horizon. Uh, if you ask me. But um, first, I want to get to the big news of the week, right, which is Donald Trump's announcement uh, on Tuesday at Mar-a-Lago that he is indeed going to run for president of the United States in 2024. In fact, he has already filed paperwork for that, um, as he shared that uh, with with his supporters at Mar-a-Lago. I thought Trump's speech was very good. I thought it hit the right tone. I thought it was a very serious speech. Um, You know, he shared with that speech about 51 different uh, policy proposals that he plans to implement. And it reminded me of when he he ran the first time in 2016, when he made those 100 promises to the American people. And, um, you know, he, a lot of people don't know this, but he actually put those promises up on a whiteboard in Steve Bannon's office. And as Donald Trump accomplished each one of those uh, jobs for the American people, America first, manufacturing uh, policies, as he accomplished each one of those, he checked them off and drew a line through them as accomplished. And and so it was nice to see Donald Trump having some substance there uh, to really show that he's serious about running and uh, becoming the, the president again. And I thought his tone was especially good, uh, given that we had just come off of a few days of him kind of name calling and kind of uh, slamming some of the other potential contenders in the 2024 race. 
in particular, Ron DeSantis, when he called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. And uh, some interesting numbers came out that I'm betting that Donald Trump saw. And I think it um, sort of impacted the way that he uh, handled his announcement on Tuesday. And that is this poll out by uh, Chris Wilson, a colleague of mine and uh, somebody I've known for a number of years. Um, in fact, his wife and I went to the same high school in Oklahoma. And um, Chris did a poll of four key states for the 2024 elections. And it showed some pretty damaging numbers for Trump. Now, this poll was taken in the immediate wake of the name calling. It was taken November 11th through the 13th. So that would have been just about three days after the disanctimonious comments. And um, the numbers were quite interesting. In the state of Iowa, the key state of Iowa, always the first uh, to go out there with their support of the presidential candidates, the Iowa caucus, you guys know. In the state of Iowa, Ron DeSantis beat Trump 47 to 36. And that is a stunner, folks. This is a guy who's never been really, other than in the media, been on the national stage in really any capacity. In the state of New Hampshire, Ron DeSantis trounced Donald Trump 52 to 36. And of course, in the state of Florida, where Ron DeSantis just came off of his big win uh, two Tuesdays ago, uh, he also trounced Donald Trump 56 to 30. And the state of Georgia, where you have the upcoming runoff in the U.S. Senate, uh, Ron DeSantis also beat Trump uh, roughly around the same numbers as Iowa and New Hampshire. So this tells me, you know, polling I know a lot of people think negatively about polling, but polling can be very instructive. And as somebody who represented clients for the better part of 15 plus years, you can actually utilize the polling to adjust your course, to uh, provide backup to your position with the candidate, to, to encourage the candidate to speak in a different way uh, on the campaign trail. And I think that's what Kellyanne or Stephen Miller or whomever is advising Donald Trump here probably did. And uh, so I bet you next week when they take polls like this, those numbers will be a little bit differently because I think Trump handled himself uh, very swimmingly on Tuesday night with his announcement. I know you guys are all excited about it. Uh, I know a lot of people concerned about this looming Trump versus DeSantis fight. Um, but hey, we are a party that uh, allows debate and discussion. Unlike the Democrats, I always say this, you know, never be afraid of a Republican fight, right? Because at least we have that diversity of thought in our party and we wanna keep it that way. And so it'll be okay to have a little bit of a fight to take the gloves off. I think ultimately the stage for 2024 is gonna be uh, a lot more broad than Donald Trump thinks it's gonna be. Uh, you know, for example, I think Ron DeSantis may run. Uh, I think Glenn Youngkin wants to run. Uh, I even think Texas Governor Greg Abbott wants to run. And so I think the 2024 debate stage is going to look a lot like the 2016 debate stage. You might not have 17 candidates, right, as we did in 2016. And I was a writer for one of those major debates. In fact, one of the most watched debates in American history. I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> so you may not have 17 candidates, but you are going to have, I think, 
I'd say probably 10 candidates in this race, ultimately, including Donald Trump. And so, you know, we can't say, oh, we got to we got to let one person or the other uh, go for it because, you know, we need to figure out where everybody stands on the issues, on fundraising, all those things. Now, Donald Trump is going to have a bit of a hard time. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, Donald Trump last time around, right, he got the Republican National Committee, the RNC endorsement. And with that endorsement came, I think it was $200 million, it was something like $180 million uh, that came with that endorsement. He also got access to the Republican National Committee staff. So what happens when you become the presidential nominee, you get all of the benefits and goodies that come with that. And that includes uh, total oversight of the staff at the RNC. Well, Donald Trump, I think this is why he's coming out so early and announcing Donald Trump does not qualify. And this is very interesting, folks. He does not qualify for the incumbent rule at the RNC. What is the incumbent rule, you ask? Well, it is a rule that automatically triggers when you have someone coming for the RNC endorsement who is a current office holder in the office that they're asking for the endorsement. Well, since Donald Trump is not currently the president and he does not hold the office of the United States and he is not a continuous office holder, Donald Trump will no longer qualify for that RNC automatic trigger. So what does that mean? That means that Donald Trump's gonna have to compete for the Republican National Committee endorsement just like everybody else. And it seems hard to believe, right? Because he's been here before. He's, he's gone up for this before. He's gotten the endorsement before. But we know that the RNC and the DNC, they, they follow their bylaws. And so this is gonna be a real challenge for Donald Trump. And, and no doubt he's out there trying to raise money and uh, try to make the case to the Republican National Committee that he's the guy they should back. Uh, but I think that's why he's um, going out so early to do that and, and good luck to him on that. So uh, love to hear who you like to support. Follow me on Twitter at All American Jen, on Instagram at All American Jen. And uh, we will have a great conversation about um, who else may throw their hat into the ring. I have a lot of friends who are ultra MAGA. They say Trump is their guy. No matter what he does, he can do no wrong. That's their guy. I have other friends in the Republican Party and even some within the RNC that are saying there are a lot of people within the RNC that don't want another Trump run. So this would be, I think this is probably the most exciting story uh, within the Republican Party for the next uh, 18 months here is who is going to get that nomination a lot of things to watch. Kevin McCarthy, of course, our friend on this program uh, is going to become the Speaker of the House and take the gavel away from Nancy Pelosi. Boy, I can't wait to watch that. Um, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi is going to try to make sure that that uh, scene does not play out on TV anywhere. I'm not sure what the bylaws are, uh, what the requirements are in Congress. Um, but remember that petty little clap she did to Donald Trump 
uh, wouldn't be surprised to see something catty like that again. Maybe she'll just, you know, leave the gavel on the desk and uh, disappear off into the ether. So we've got a great show for you coming up. Um, as I said, Kevin Kylie, Congress member elect who helped Republicans uh, seal their victory uh, to take over Congress will be here and we've got some other great guests as well. Uh, keep it tuned right here, All American Radio on 790 KABC. All-American Radio with Jennifer Kearns on 790 KABC and across America on the iHeartRadio platform. Well, I'm so excited to welcome my next guest. He served in the administration of my favorite president, President Ronald Reagan. No offense, Donald Trump. Please don't call me out on that. Um, but uh, David Stockman served as Ronald Reagan's Office of Management and Budget Director uh, in the 1980s, he was also the architect of uh, what they call the Reagan Revolution, uh, as far as economics goes. And um, he is a, a whiz um, in his own right. And we're so honored to have him today on All American Radio. Welcome, Mr. Stockman. Okay, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So you have a new book out called The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. And in it, you have a dire warning to Americans that we are about to enter into the winter of discontent. And uh, it may not last just a season. We may be in for really rough economic times over the next year or two. What is your um, advice to Americans on how to prepare uh, for this coming storm? Yeah, well, you know, uh, thank you. It, um, the key thing to understand is that this inflation we're having now, the highest in 40 years, didn't just come out of the blue in the last few months or even the last year. This has really been building uh, for 30 years as a result of really bad policies in Washington. The Congress has been spending money like there's no tomorrow and borrowing huge amounts. Our public debt has gone from a trillion when I was there to 31 trillion now. And then the Fed came along and said, we'll make it easy for everybody. We'll just print the money monetize the debt, put it on our balance sheet, keep interest rates ultra low, and everybody will live happily ever after. Well, that worked for a while, but unfortunately, it created massive financial bubbles on Wall Street, in the bond market, the stock market, the crypto market, uh, the real estate market. We have debt that we have never imagined before. There's 91 trillion of debt uh, on our economy, public and private today, double where it was in the crisis of 2008 and four times where it was at the turn of the century. So uh, we've been living in kind of a dream world, but it's now uh, coming to a crashing halt because inflation uh, got out, you know, the inflation genie uh, got out of the lamp and now the Fed is desperately trying to catch up. It's way behind, uh, you know, it's way behind the curve. It's slamming on the brakes. It's raised interest rates by... 4%, 400 basis points just since March, and we've barely made a debt in the inflation. It's still running 7 
So this is what I'm talking about. We need to understand we're at a historic juncture and we're going to have a, some, a quite different world in front of us than this uh, big party that we've had on Wall Street uh, and in Washington uh, over the last uh, couple decades. So in your new book, you talk about how terms like inflation and recession uh, sort of gloss over the true problems that are really underlying in an economic collapse. Um, you say that the term inflation really is, is just one symptom of a very sick system. What do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, the, the thing I think we need to understand is inflation isn't, isn't just gasoline prices that hit $5 a gallon or the huge increases in the grocery store. Inflation ultimately is a monetary phenomenon. It comes out of the Fed, the massive increase in its balance sheet, and that first led to the inflation of financial assets, stocks and bonds and uh, you know, uh, cryptos even in real estate. And as a result of that, there were huge windfalls to the small minority of the public that had a large uh, asset portfolio. But the average guy who was trying to save and get by uh, didn't benefit from this. And he got nothing on the small amount that he was trying to save. The average wage earner has actually been falling behind month after month for 19 months running now because the inflation rate at seven, eight, nine percent, and I think it's actually truly higher if you measured it accurately, uh, is running way ahead of wage gains. So uh, this is not um, one size fits all. This is not, uh, you know, a benefit to everybody. It's a benefit to the few and a detriment uh, to the great, uh, you know, masses of the Main Street public. So now let's talk turkey. Uh, just two years ago, the average price of a Thanksgiving dinner was around $45. Uh, in 2021, in the first year of Joe Biden's administration, it grew to $55. And now reports are estimated that uh, this year's Thanksgiving turkey dinner will cost $65 and up. Um, what is your advice for Americans that are going into this holiday season? What should they be buying or not buying? And how really can they act uh, to protect their own interests? Yes, uh, I, I missed some of your question there. You broke up. But I think the general thrust is wh where do we stand going into Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holiday seasons and going forward? And the answer is don't believe uh, Washington uh, when they tell you that inflation is almost conquered uh, and we can see daylight at the end of the tunnel and it's going to come down rapidly and we're going to have a soft landing and everything's going to be hunky-dory. That is just not true. Uh, we have strayed so far from the beaten path. There's been so much fiscal and monetary excess coming out of Washington that it's going to take years to wrestle this monster to the ground and to correct uh, all the damage that's been done. And so people are going to have to uh, pull in their horns, tighten their belts, not uh, be lured into the stock market, you know, on the grounds that, well, the bottom's in and now is the time, you know, opportunity of a lifetime to get in cheap and uh, uh, experience huge gains in the future. Those, uh, those are false claims. Uh, and the thing to do now is to basically try to reduce your debt, try to stay out of the casino, that is, you know, the Wall Street uh, stock and bond market, 
and build up your uh, cash savings and liquidity. After all, one year ago today, if you had money in a one-year treasury bill, which is safe, okay, you were earning the grand sum of 20 basis points. That is one-fifth of 1%. Today, the rate is 4.8%, a huge gain. Now, still, that's not doubling your money or tripling your money like people uh, thought they could accomplish in this party we've had for the last few decades. But it's a reasonable return and it's safe. And so, therefore, what people have to do is get their money into safe places. Uh, you know, find a shelter from the storm that's safe. You may make a small return, but the aim really ought to be preservation of capital, not swinging for the fences, because that era is pretty well over. As I mentioned, you were part of the Reagan revolution and really uh, the, the economic mastermind behind that. You obviously spent a lot of time with Ronald Reagan. What's your favorite moment with him or your favorite characteristic or trait about Reagan? Uh, well, you know, there uh, are a lot of good stories, uh, but I think uh, what I found most uh, appealing about President Reagan is that he was one of the few politicians I've ever met. And, you know, I went to work at Capitol Hill in 1970 when I was just a kid, so that's a long time ago. But he was one of the few politicians that didn't have a giant ego getting in his way. And so, therefore, he was, um, you know, he was uh, kind and uh, responsive and uh, uh, nice uh, to everyone he met, including the lowest level of people that worked on my staff in OMB or uh, that were working in the, uh, uh, you know, restaurant <laughs> kitchen at the White House and everybody in between. And so it's not really a story, but it's a uh, statement of his character. And, uh, you know, it's not something we see very much of in Washington anymore. Well, David Stockman, uh, Ronald Reagan's director of OMB, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an honor and a privilege. Uh, everyone be sure to check out David's new book uh, called The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. And I'll be sure to get my copy as well uh, to prepare for the winter ahead, both proverbially and literally. Thank you so much. All right, and up next on All American Radio, we're going to talk with the newest congressman-elect from the state of California, what sweet justice this is uh, to have the state of California uh, tip the scale and oust California's own Nancy Pelosi uh, from this speakership. But I'll be talking with Congressmember-elect Kevin Kiley after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to All American Radio with Jennifer Kearns. I am your host, Jennifer Kearns. Well, I'm so excited to bring you our next guest. He is one of the Congress members elect who have helped seal the deal for Republicans to take back control of the House of Representatives. And uh, I think it's just sweet poetic justice that uh, it's a California Congress member who 
has helped ousted Nancy Pelosi and uh, has ripped the gavel from, from Nancy Pelosi. And I just mean that proverbially speaking, not literally. So don't tweet me about that. Um, it's my honor to bring in a Congress member elect, Kevin Kiley. Welcome to All American Radio. Hi, great to be with you. Thanks, Jennifer. Well, first things first, I want to ask you, where were you when you heard the news that you had won and that your seat may have been critical in helping flip control of Congress? Uh, so I was actually uh, here where I am now in Washington, D.C., uh, because there's uh, orientation going on for new members of Congress. So, you know, I had uh, uh, been uh, sort of summoned to come to this on the uh, assumption or the expectation that uh, that ultimately uh, I'd prevail in my race. Uh, but, you know, nevertheless, uh, it's good to have it uh, have it official. Your consultant, Dave Gilliard at Gilliard Blanning and Associates, um, were so instrumental in your race. They are just such whizzes at what they do. It's a great win for them. And also uh, compliments to you. That does not happen if the candidate is not equally great and hardworking. And so that is, you know, such a testament to you and your victory. Um, do you think that, you know, your work on the recall effort last year against Gavin Newsom helped elevate your profile? Talk a little bit about how barnstorming the state last year may have helped elevate your name ID and get voters more familiar with you for your run for Congress. Well, I've looked at what's happening with this administration, uh, the Biden administration in uh, conjunction with uh, with Nancy Pelosi's Congress, uh, and it is causing absolutely uh, sort of catastrophic harm uh, to our country in much the way uh, that these same radical uh, far left policies uh, have, uh, you know, marked the decline here uh, in California. And so I want to make sure that the same thing that has happened to California uh, doesn't happen to our country. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Gavin Newsom says California is a model for the nation. He's going out of his way uh, to uh, kind of promote himself as a uh, presidential aspirant in every uh, way that he can and is uh, probably stepping on Biden and Kamala's uh, toes in the process. Um, but, you know, what we know about uh, Gavin Newsom is that uh, he's really motivated uh, by his own uh, personal uh, prospects for advancement. Uh, so you saw him before the midterms coming out saying, oh, the Democrats have been doing X, Y or Z wrong, hoping that he could then come in as the sort of uh, as the one person who had it right, uh, you know, uh, after the election. Uh, but it's unclear exactly how that argument is playing out uh, for him now. Um, but uh, no, he has been, uh, you know, uh, engaging in one stunt after another uh, to get himself uh, onto the national stage. In fact, he's been doing this since he became governor. Like shortly after he was uh, sworn in as governor, uh, he sort of uh, made it very clear that his main constituency was going to be sort of uh, the national media, uh, as opposed to the 40 million people living uh, in California. And it's under his governorship that our state has reached this breaking point where the for the first time in its 172 year history, you know, I have more people that are leaving California than are coming here. Uh, the sort of uh, changes that we need. Uh, both in our state and at the national level, uh, you know, you don't need to be a conservative uh, to uh, agree with them. You know, uh, we have had policies that have been uh, so disastrous when it comes to the economy, 
uh, when it comes to the border, when it comes to crime and public safety in our communities, uh, that yes, I am a conservative on each and every one of those issues. Uh, I believe strongly in a strong border uh, and keeping taxes and regulations low and reining in spending, uh, in supporting our police and having appropriate penalties uh, for criminal behavior. Um, but really, uh, you know, we've gone so far to the left that I think that there are a lot of people who are even Democrats or independents, certainly Republicans, who think we need to move back in the other direction. And so uh, I'm looking forward to helping to push uh, for an agenda uh, here in Congress on day one uh, that will, uh, you know, accomplish that, that will, uh, you know, get the economy uh, back on the right track, reining in inflation, uh, and, uh, you know, finally securing the border, stopping what has become really a crisis, uh, and uh, dealing with the, the rise in violent crime that we're seeing in the communities across the country. So you're currently at orientation. Uh, what's your favorite part of orientation uh, so far? And have you talked about any committees that you might serve on? Uh, can you give us any inside scoop? Uh, well, the committee process is yet to come, but uh, you know I've got, had the chance to meet a lot of the other newly uh, elected members. Uh, I think that we have a uh, you know a great uh, team coming in of folks from uh, all across the country uh, who are committed uh, as part of this new majority that we've just won, just ended the Pelosi speakership, uh, who are committed to coming in uh, right off the bat and uh, you know working to uh, right the ship. Uh, and uh, to serve the folks uh, that, uh, that we were elected uh, to represent. And so I'm really uh, energized after having met uh, a lot of the folks that were elected in various different kinds of districts across the country. And I think this is the kind of majority that, uh, you know, will of course have a great deal of diversity and differences of opinion within it, but I'm hopeful that we can be unified uh, in doing what's right from our country uh, once we're all sworn in on January 3rd. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending a valuable time on your orientation with us. We appreciate uh, you being here and uh, best of luck to you. Can't wait to see you get sworn in and uh, take uh, Congress back from uh, Nancy Pelosi. That's just going to be a great thing to see. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All right, folks, you heard it there. Kevin Kiley, Congress member elect. Uh, boy, this is such a great story. Uh, you know, you've got, um, you know, I kind of talk about the tale of two Kevins. You have uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's known as maybe a little more moderate, a little more establishment coming out of Bakersfield, uh, California and, and winning that speakership vote uh, just a few days ago. And you have Kevin Kiley coming out of the Sacramento area, a little more conservative, uh, different, di different type of political ideology maybe, but boy, these folks work together hand in hand to make sure that um, a, another California Nancy Pelosi uh, did not get to keep her gavel. And I think uh, that is one of one of just the great stories uh, coming out of these midterms. And I think you guys are going to be really pleased with the class that's uh, going to be sworn in in January. You're going to see uh, people like Kevin who've been involved in their states, uh, maybe have run for other things, maybe haven't gotten it. And I think that's the real lesson here, right? Because last year, everybody said, oh, you know, they didn't win the recall attempt of Gavin Newsom. And may, maybe they shouldn't have even bitten off that. Maybe it was too much for them to take on, or maybe they shouldn't have even tried it because now they emboldened Gavin. But folks, think about this. One of the most outspoken antagonists of Gavin Newsom was just the, the key vote, right? The, the key win that won Republicans back control of Congress. And that probably wouldn't have happened if Kevin Kiley hadn't been 
barnstorming his area, barnstorming the state, being on the news every night, talking about the issues that so many people in his district cared about. And so I, I wanna really encourage young people when you get asked to do something and step up and play for your team. And we talk about team a lot here on All American Radio, it's kind of a sports analogy. Um, this is proof that that will pay off in the end. If you help your team try to get over the finish line, in the end, ultimately it will help you. And I, I always think that's a God thing. God always sees us working. Even when we think no one else is looking, he sees it and he will reward you in the end. And now here's Kevin Kiley, uh, sitting right there at his orientation to become the next member of Congress. And one of the two uh, key seats in California that uh, secured the victory for Republicans to take back control of the House. So there are some bright, um, bright silver linings happening around us, even though I know, I know so many of us disappointed last week when we didn't uh, take control of the US Senate, but great class about to be sworn in to DC. So keep your eye on that. Well, I'm so excited. Um, we have so many great guests to show. Up next is a good friend of mine, uh, managing editor of Red State, Jennifer Van Lahr is going to be here with us. We're gonna talk about what to expect out of Mayor Karen Bass after the break. Welcome back to All American Radio with Jennifer Kearns. I am your host, Jennifer Kearns. I want to thank our sponsors, Polston Tax Services, uh, also Dr. Nicole Kish Optometry, All American Media LLC, and Red Voice Media for their support of the program today. Well, as we are in Los Angeles on 790K ABC, I wanted to bring in my next guest to talk about the LA Mayor's Race, which has just been called. Uh, this week for Karen Bass. Uh, my next guest is a tenacious pit bull. You don't want to be on the wrong side of her, especially if you're a public official. No, you don't. Um, she is, uh, her claim to fame is taking down Katie Hill and exposing the whole Katie Hill scandal a couple of years ago. And uh, boy, she keeps elected officials on her toes. Please welcome to the show, Jennifer Van Lahr. I'm happy to be here. Not so happy about the circumstances, but always happy to talk to you. So Jennifer, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that, you know, Democrats all the time are lecturing to us about using the proper pronoun and you, you have to ask if it's a he or a she. And Ketanji Brown Jackson, when she got sworn into the Supreme Court, uh, <laughs> refused to answer the question of what is a woman. I mean, you know, the links that Democrats will go to, right, to not uh, declare a gender on someone is pretty stunning. And lo and behold, I opened the newspapers and there's Karen Bass becomes the first woman to ever be mayor of Los Angeles. I mean, it's splashed everywhere. And so I guess it's kind of a rules for thee, but not for me. And, you know, they can use the pronouns and they can call people a woman when it's helpful to them. You know, just like when Kamala Harris became vice president. I mean, it's just nauseating, isn't it? I mean, I think if it was a conservative who was the first female mayor of Los Angeles, they wouldn't be talking about gender at all. 
it's only just because they want to be able to check off a box of something. And next thing you know, I mean, I'm Karen Bash should just be glad that it wasn't someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who was the first uh, person identifying as a female to be mayor of Los Angeles, because then that would just be yet another thing where a trans person, a trans woman takes the, uh, the glory from an actual biological female. So what kind of mayor do you think Karen Bass will actually be? Obviously, Rick Caruso knew how to turn things around. He was sort of the turnaround king, uh, brought the Grove uh, development into Los Angeles. Um, I think he was really the right person for the job to clean up the homeless crisis, uh, which, by the way, law enforcement officers estimate that that's estimated to be around 800,000 homeless people living in the downtown area alone. Uh, that That's far above what they admitted during the debates was actually the number of homeless people, right? So what kind of mayor do you think Karen Bass will be? Does she have what it takes to really get in there and dig in and really solve these problems? Yeah, she she's comes across very nice, like someone you would love to just, you know, go have a coffee date with or, you know, hang out and go shopping. She doesn't come across as having maybe the um, I don't know if backbones, the right word or the forcefulness to really be able to get done what needs to be done um, at L.A. City Hall, which is going to take a lot of leadership and a lot of uh, not taking crap from people. I mean, say what you will about Nuri Martinez. I don't think anyone was going to cross that woman. You know, she gave off like, don't mess with me vibes. And Karen Bass doesn't give that off. And honestly, I knew who she was because I follow politics, but she had really not made a big name or distinguished herself as a congresswoman is really getting anything done. She was just kind of like, yeah, I'm here. I'm kind of like your communist Democrat for this area. So vote for me. And people did. And then they gave her all these awards as if she's doing something. But yet in the, what, 30 years or so she's been in public life, nothing has gotten better in her area of LA. If anything, it's gotten a lot worse. I was down in her district earlier this week when I got back from uh, the East Coast from a little bit of a post-election vacation. And, you know, the homeless encampments were terrible and you know, just crime everywhere. So. I think that's pretty much what LA can just expect is more of uh, Garcetti type hands off and neglect. That is a good point. So talk about that a little bit more because states like California are making it harder mm -hmm. for regular citizens and for journalists to actually do public records act requests. That is requesting information on a crime or is some piece of information Uh, with with uh, making it harder to find the information, they just don't want, as far as the criminals are concerned, I think especially with the, the trend of these DAs in California, and there's many of them, not just Gascon and not just Boudin, uh, that are these Soros DAs, they don't want us to be able to find how many, uh, you know, the lengthy criminal record of a lot of these people that are being arrested for terrible crimes, because then we can get that out to the public and people can really see what's happening. Like even the man that attacked Paul Pelosi, just trying to find any uh, former background on him was difficult. We have to do it county by county. And you can't, a lot of times you can't even look up a criminal history. You have to have a case number or something like that. So it's just, it's made it, there's so many roadblocks on finding it now. You almost just have to have, to have 
a source inside of law enforcement who will get you the record, which they can also get in trouble for because all of that's traced. So, you know, it, it's pretty much to anyone who wants to hold these prosecutors accountable who aren't doing their job. It's pretty much, well, you're crap out of luck to, to say it nicely. So is there anything else in LA that we should be paying attention to? watch out for those socialists. I mean, Karen Bass is going to be beholden to uh, Nika Soon-Chiang, the daughter of Patrick Soon-Chiang that owns the LA Times. It was her machine that got Karen Bass elected, and she's an extreme socialist, so just watch out for that. All right. Well, Jennifer Van Lahr, Managing Editor of Red State, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, keep everyone on their toes. If you're not following Jennifer on Twitter, you definitely want to do that. It's not only entertaining, but informative all at the same time. And that'll do it for us today. Um, looking forward to hearing more about this uh, class of Congress that's coming up, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of rock stars and all stars. And uh, I'm so excited to be visiting with uh, more of those new uh, freshman members of our House of Representatives in the coming weeks. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at All American Jen, on Instagram at All American Jen. Be sure to catch our video simulcast 